Welcome to this pod sponsored by Lupus Science and Medicine. My name is Lars Sjöndom. I'm professor of rheumatology at the Department of Medical Science at Uppsala University. And I will together with Joanne Merrill, who is professor of medicine at the University of Oklahoma Health Science Center, discuss a very interesting and recent paper from Lupus Science and Medicine. And that paper deals with type 1 interference system and the potential value of blocking the interference system in lupus. And the title of the paper is Anifrolumab Effects on Rash and Arthritis Impact of the Type 1 Interferon Gene Signature in a Phase 2b mu study in patients with systemic lupus erythematosus. Jörn T. Merrill was the first author in this, of this paper. And could you give me some ideas of why you did this? study what was the aim and what was the outline of this study because we all know that interference are important in lupus what was the main idea of the paper anaprolimab is a monoclonal antibody that targets the interferon alpha beta receptor so almost all of the signals that go from type 1 interferons into all the cells in the body go through this receptor. So it's a kind of a central node in immune pathogenesis and probably has something to do with lupus. The H2 study that was done looked very promising, but it was quite remarkable that it looked as if there was a much bigger treatment effect in the patients with a type 1 interferon signature. And that type 1 interferon signature had to do with the expression of four genes that AstraZeneca had come up with using patient samples and thinking a lot about how they can characterize the most lupus patients possible. And I want to get back to that because when you're a doctor in the clinic, targeting the most patients possible gives you some idea of who you would want to give a drug to, but it doesn't tell you 100% for individual people. When you looked at the data, it did look like, boy, if you had that type 1 interference signature, you are much more likely to do better than people in the placebo group if you took this drug. But you look again and you realize that what we were actually looking at was about the same response rate in people who did have the signature and didn't have the signature. It's just that in the people who did have the signature, the placebo group did much worse. So maybe all we were looking at was a sicker subset of patients, and maybe this targeted agent wasn't so specific once you get it into the body with all the complexity in the body. So we decided to ask a question, could you actually see a difference in the people who did not have such a high interference signature if we tried some different endpoints? And so we just looked at skin and joints and we used different endpoints. The original sort of stringent endpoint is did the rash go away or did the arthritis go away? And there you really don't see a difference between placebo and treatment in the low interferon people, but the placebo response rates are relatively high. So then we asked, what about partial improvement? Were any of these people getting partial improvement? And it turned out that suddenly when you use different instruments that measure partial improvement, and that includes the BILAG, which is one of the outcome measures commonly used in lupus, sort of a, a general one, but you're just focused on the rash part of it or the arthritis part of it. Or if you used a specific rash scale called the CLASI, or if you used a specific way of looking at arthritis, which was reduction in joint count, suddenly there was a difference and it favored the treatment. Now, the low interferon people were the minority of people in the study. So it was a very underpowered study. So most of these didn't quite reach statistical significance, although there was quite a big difference between them. 
However, in fact, the bilike rash analysis did reach statistical significance. So it does make one wonder if that four-gene signature is really telling us who ought to be getting the drug or not. Uh, I don't think the question is answered by this paper, but it certainly does raise that question and suggest that we need more work. I think the study is really interesting, and I agree with you that the observation that also patients with interferon low signature to some extent uh, seems to respond to the treatment. So what could the reason be for that, of course? We know that, first of all, interferon signature low patients, they have a low signature. It's not completely zero. So this is not a zero or one measurement. So you can have a low signature and you still see some activation of interferon-regulated genes. Then, of course, we know that the type 1 interferons regulate up to 10% of the total genome. I mean, that's around 2,000 genes. And this may differ in different cells, of course. So there might be a number of genes that we really don't measure, but could be of interest or of importance in the lupus disease process. And finally, of course, we know that there are not only type 1 interference, there are two type 2 and type 3 interference that are important in lupus. And we also know that these genes interact and these interference interact. So it might be so that if you, to some extent, block part of the type 1 interference pathway, you also interfere with the other interference. So, I mean, the complexity of this system is huge and it's not very easy to dissect out what you are doing if you just measure four genes. But the bottom line, I think, is that interference are important in lupus. We know that 80% perhaps, and even more in, in pediatric patients with lupus, have an increased expression of mainly type 1 interferon-regulated genes, although we know that also type 2 and type 3 interference are important. We also know from clinical experience that if you treat patients with non-autoimmune disease, for instance, malignant diseases, you can trigger an interferon driven lupus-like disease. So there seems to be a causal relationship between administration and activation of the interference system and the development of the lupus disease process. So I think the rationale is there, but we really don't have the techniques or instruments to pinpoint in each patient which interference and which cells are the most important in this specific patient. What was the real surprise in this study? What Was it something that was really surprising to you, besides the fact that some of the patients with a interferon low signature actually responded? Well, um, one thing that surprised me was that if you looked individually at rash and arthritis, there really did look to be an individual impact on both. And even in the interferon high patients, who we also looked at with all of these endpoints, it did look as if arthritis signal when you get to, to measurements of partial response is a little stronger than had been seen in all of these studies with this drug. So again, when you get different results in different studies, my mother used to always say, the answer you get depends on the question you ask. And so remember, we're asking a different question. We're asking about partial responses. It does look as if lupus is one thing in each person. And if the rash is getting better, it looks like the arthritis may be getting better as well, at least to some extent. I would say also that if you look at the numerical differences between the treatment and placebo, the impact wasn't all that much less in the interferon low people. Remember again that there were many fewer patients in that subset 
So when you get the same difference, you may not get a statistically significant difference. But once you get into some of these partial responders, they really didn't look as if they were doing uh, that much worse than the integrant high people. Now, that one really surprised me. There were some differences of 20% or more between treatment and placebo. But again, since they were underpowered, it's hard to say whether that would hold up if you had more patients. I guess that if you look at single patients, you notice that some patients, even with interferon high signature, they didn't respond at all. And some patients with low interferon signature responded completely and very good with regard to clinical manifestations. It's always struck me that if somebody doesn't respond to a drug, there really are various reasons that that could be for. One reason is that we're missing that drug somehow is missing the important thing that's going on in those patients. But another possibility is that these people do have something in the pathology that this drug can help with, but maybe there's something else going on as well, or there's something interfering in some way right at the impact of the drug. So if we could sort all of that out, we might get a whole lot better at targeting drugs to individual people. So what do you think is the solution to this? I mean, we have all seen a number of, I would say, clinical failures during the last years and also some clinical uh, success, but there is a number of disturbing clinical failures. Do you think that's due to bad stratification of the patients? We don't take into account the different molecular pathways activated in, in single patients or in subsets of patients? I think that's a strong hypothesis. Now, remember, we have a lot of things wrong with lupus trials. One is just the complexity of the disease and how we measure clinical improvement. So all of that needs to be worked on. Training of sites to even fill out our imperfect measurements so that they're consistent and make some sense is another issue. Uh, Just handling the unwieldy amounts of data is another issue. Now we're at the point where could we possibly do a little better selecting the subsets of patients where at least there's a better chance of success. But there, I think there may be a pitfall. And the pitfall is that if you try too hard to put a box around the patients for whom a drug works, what you're doing is you are disenfranchising some individual patients for whom it might be a very good treatment. So I kind of am hoping for a future where we don't necessarily say you can't have it unless you meet these blood test requirements, but we say it's much more likely to work in people with these blood test requirements. So maybe you have to make it not your first choice in people who don't meet the blood test requirements, but leave it open down the line that if they're not responding to other medications, they would be allowed to try it. I'm not sure we're going in that direction yet. Right now, it seems to be that drugs get approved for subsets of patients and sometimes the rigid rules around who should be able to get access to the drug don't make 100% sense, especially for a practicing clinician. Yeah, I think, I mean, your points are very good, I think. And I mean, going back to the interference system, we usually discuss an interference signature, but we know that the interference system by itself is 20 different proteins, is three different receptors, and it regulates 2,000 genes. So, I mean, the interference system that we lump together in one system is also very complex in itself. And it might be so that we need actually to develop different strategies in targeting this system. I mean, we can target Mm -hmm. one of the three receptors. We can go for YAK-STAT inhibitors, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's quite intriguing, I think, to intervene with this system. I think we would all like to leave the, the world of 
of trial and error medicine. We would like to be more knowledgeable and we would like to be more strategic in how we select drugs for patients. And I guess I just want to say we don't want to be too sure we have all of the answers when we then proceed to act upon our new knowledge. Yeah, I I agree on that. I mean, in this situation, we could perhaps also discuss some of the potential adverse effects by by blocking interferon system. You notice some signals regarding viral infections, Joan, wasn't it so? Yes, and we did have in, actually I'll mention now that there also have since then been two phase three trials published. So looking at the whole of the data, there is definitely an increase in reported upper respiratory infections and herpes zoster. Uh, Interestingly, influenza has not, doesn't seem to have much of a signal, but then that depends on how people are defining influenza and whether they're calling some influenza upper respiratory infections. And none of that's quite sorted out in these basic phase three trials. But there is a signal. It's not a frightening signal. It didn't lead to any disasters in reports of patients really being harmed in these clinical trials. There's no real danger signal here. There's just an increase in upper respiratory infections and a small increase in herpes zoster reactivation. I want to make a comment about the phase three trials that have recently been published. Um, They were called TULIP-1 and TULIP-2. The first one, TULIP-1, did run into a technical pitfall in the definition of improvement. As it played out, the trial failed using that definition. When an exploratory re-examination of all the data was done, much better results were obtained. It still would not have met the primary endpoint, but it met a lot of the secondary endpoints. And so the TULIP-2 trial had a different primary endpoint, which was based on the BILAG, the instrument that I mentioned before. And it met its primary endpoint and a lot of secondary endpoints. And if you take all of the three trials together, the phase two and the two phase threes, and you look at the most common endpoints in lupus, it's really quite exciting because five out of six times it met one of these two major endpoints. Pretty good. So, but, but I mean, the concluding experience or the conclusions from all these t- trials is that there are a group of lupus patients that respond quite well to inhibition of the type 1 interference system. I mean, we can agree on that mm-hmm. point. I would agree even further than that. I would say that this is the most at least some of the data, it's the most dramatic difference between treatment and placebo we've seen in phase three trials in lupus. We've had so many failed phase three yeah. trials in lupus. We've had a couple of successful ones, but this the, this has shown the most sort of even-handed and clear-cut uh, results, so it's quite exciting. Absolutely, and but we still have to learn more about who shall actually have the treatment and all the patients that actually should benefit from other treatments or adding other treatments together to type 1 interferon inhibition. Yeah. I fear that I'm on both sides of this fence because I want to see better precision medicine. I think maybe we should call it a little more precise medicine and not precision medicine and then leave open the possibility that we can use trial and error when other drugs aren't working for people. Yeah. So by that, I think we can wrap up this session and make the conclusions that at the moment we have a very interesting drug which has been used in both phase one, two, and three trials, blocking the 
type 1 interferon receptor anifrolumab and we see some very exciting and very interesting results both actually in patients with a high interferon signature but also in some individuals with a low interferon signature but still we have to learn more about interferon system and how to select patients that would benefit most from this treatment so thank you all for attending